But assuming that there are some listeners out there who are wired like me and who do feel frustrated at times by the invisible emotional labor they do all day long for their family and who would like to have some skills or strategies that they can take with them to lighten their mental or emotional load, here are a few ideas for you to get started with. Welcome to the Infinite Capacity Podcast for Moms in Midlife. I'm your host, Andrea Morton of Think to Thrive Coaching, and I'm here to help you discover your full potential. Are you ready to reach for the stars? Is it time to level up your life and relationships? Are you looking for inspiration? I'm excited. Let's get started with this week's episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to be here with you this week, and we are going to tackle a topic that I think is super important and I believe is uh, something that comes up not just in my house, but in a lot of houses all over the place. Forgive me if my voice is a little bit raspy or scratchy today. Um, There has been a little bit of a head cold going around our family. I have had two kids down with it. And so um, if you hear that in my voice, that's what you're hearing. Just a little bit of a scratchiness. Anyway, recently, our two-and-a-half-year-old cat began to have some swelling in his rear haunches and a tiny little spot of blood that colored his white fur. And since I'm the one that, like, instantly notices that kind of thing right away, I called the vet, and then I took time out of my busy schedule to bring him in for an urgent appointment. And $100 later, uh, after about an hour and a half, with a diagnosis from the vet that it was just a little cut, I brought our cat home, got back to work, and then went on with life. And about a week later, my son pointed out when I was holding the cat that the swelling had actually gotten worse and there was even more blood. So I emailed and I called the vet again and I made another urgent appointment and I rearranged my calendar again to bring the cat in. And this time the vet said that there was an infection present and also an autoimmune allergic condition that she called eosinophilic granuloma and that our cat would need a special diet moving forward and steroids and a cone. So I have been taking care of the cat putting the cone on and taking the cone off every time he needs to eat and drink while we're waiting for his haunch to heal. And I've also been giving him his daily dose of steroids, which he absolutely hates. So I have to bundle myself up in a puffy jacket so he won't scratch me when I'm giving him his medicine. And I'm also just caring for him in general and checking on him, which has added extra work and stress into my already very busy days. I'm the one who's checking on his leg to make sure everything is healing upright, and I'm the one who was trying out the new kinds of hypoallergenic cat food that the vet told us he needs to eat, which I had to go pick up for him at the pet store. Plus, let's just be honest, I'm worrying about him because I really love my cat, and frankly, he often seems like the most excited creature in the house to see me, the most thrilled that I exist. Um, All of the other inhabitants of the house are also very happy, of course, but he seems like the one who really cares if I come home. He still runs to the front door to greet me every time I enter. I think he even knows the sound of my car. I know that taking care of a sick cat doesn't probably sound like very much. In fact, you listeners may be thinking, why is Andrea whining? She chose to be a cat mom after all. She doesn't have to have a cat. But to be honest, taking care of our cats takes time. And it's just one extra thing 
on top of a day full of little extra things, which actually seems to happen to me about seven days a week. There are endless little things that need to be done in our home and for our family or to be noticed. And for a lot of them, if I don't do it, I know that nobody else is going to. I am so lucky. I have an amazing husband and partner, and I feel so proud to be a team with him. But in our particular division of labor, this is just how it works. It's how it's always worked. When you add it all up, taking care of all of these little things for a family can be really exhausting. At least for me, it is, especially at the end of an already long day where maybe I have done hundreds of tiny little thoughtful things all day long. So I have to manage my own emotions around this kind of endless work because sometimes, and I'm just going to confide in you guys, so don't tell, but I'll be real. I don't actually want to be the person who notices if the milk is getting low in our refrigerator or if we're almost out of toilet paper or if our kids haven't been to the dentist for a while. I don't actually want to be the one who reminds them to clean up their bathroom when it's a swamp or remind them to write a thank you note. I don't actually want to feel sorrow or overwhelm that I always seem to feel when my kids get really sick with a flu or a virus or if they're feeling down or stressed. But I do feel all of this and I do notice all of it. So I actually have to manage my thinking around it so that I don't get stuck in overwhelm or my own negative emotions. Women and moms do a lot of this kind of thankless work and mindset management, even in the year 2023. The BBC has investigated this saying when it comes to household responsibilities, women perform far more cognitive and emotional labor than men. And then they go on to cite all of the little things women do for our families, like organizing playdates, booking medical checkups for the children, worrying about whether our kids are doing well in school or if somebody needs new shoes. I do not want to throw men under the bus here as I personally know at least three fathers who are the primary caregivers for their little ones and who take on by themselves the majority weight of the caretaking and the household decision-making while their wives or partners are at work away from the house. Those dads are every bit as exhausted as I am, and they too lay awake at night worrying about their kids exactly as I do. So even though today I'll be citing studies that apply mostly to women, I want my listeners to know that at least in my mind, emotional labor is performed by a parent of any gender identity who happens to be the person in their household who is taking on the bulk of the mental and emotional weight of parenting. That said, a lot of studies have shown that women in heterosexual relationships, even today, do the majority of housework and childcare, even if they're working. Even when couples mean to divide equally their responsibilities, their day-to-day tasks are often still divided by gender. It's a work in progress, people. In the BBC's 2021 article by Melissa Hoganboom called The Hidden Load, How Thinking of Everything Holds Mums Back, the hidden work of mothers is divided into three overlapping categories. First, there is cognitive labor, 
thinking about all of the little details all day long that are required to organize and manage a household, from planning the lists and doing the shopping, to remembering when a child needs to be picked up from school, or if they have a special sports event that will require new equipment, etc. And then there is emotional labor, which Hogan Boom describes as maintaining the family's emotions, helping children self-regulate if they're having a bad day, worrying about what's happening for them at school, like if they're getting bullied or if they're really struggling in a class. This, by the way, is a very different definition of emotional labor than the official definition, which I will explain a little later in this podcast. And finally, there is the mental load, which Hogenboom defines as the intersection of the cognitive and emotional labor, preparing, organizing, and anticipating everything emotional and practical that needs to get done to make life flow. And that's a direct quote. I first heard about the term emotional labor when reading an article on Scary Mommy, which also referenced articles by Harper's Bazaar and The Guardian. They were using the words emotional labor to mean being the manager of the household and a lot of thankless work. The Guardian defined it as repeated taxing and under-acknowledged acts of gendered performance. I really wanted to dig more into this concept to understand it better and also to learn where the phrase originally came from. What I found out when I looked was interesting to me, and perhaps a little bit different than how they'd intended to use the term in those articles, because apparently the phrase emotional labor was coined by a sociologist named Arlie Hochschild for a book that she published back in 1983, The Managed Heart, Commercialization of Human Feeling. Hothschild used this phrase to describe a situation where the way a person manages his or her emotions is regulated by a work-related entity in order to shape the state of mind of another individual, such as a customer. If that sounds pretty complicated out there to you all listening, it did to me too. I had to really think it through and then read more about it to fully understand the implication of the words emotional labor as Hothschild intended them to be. My best understanding now is that emotional labor, as she defined it, is where one person, a worker, has to manage their own emotions within the workplace, their job, in order to create a positive experience for another person, the client. An example they give in Vogue magazine is when a server at a restaurant is told by their manager to put on a smile when dealing with a rude customer or to swallow their feelings about a racist or sexist comment that's made by one of their superiors at work. So if we transfer that to the household, it actually kind of makes sense. And the phrase does sort of work in this home context. A mom has to manage her own emotions within the household in order to create a positive experience for her family. And that is emotional labor. And just thinking about it gives me the chills because that is what many of us moms spend our days doing. We see a need. We recognize the need. We fill the need whether or not we actually want to. And then we manage our emotions around all of it so that we can create a positive experience for our family. We are the glue that are holding things together. For example, my kids who are teenagers, ages 17, 15, and 13, need rides pretty much every day, especially the younger two, to swimming, to music, to soccer. And I don't always want to give rides. 
I'm already driving to school and back multiple times every day. In fact, I usually hate driving. It's actually one of my least favorite ways to spend my time in the world, and I do far too much of it living in Southern California where our public transportation system does not serve the suburbs as well as it does in other large cities in the world. There is no train a few blocks away here that my kids can jump onto to go to school, and we aren't close enough for them to ride their bike to soccer practice, which is often a 30-minute drive away from our home. So I step up, and I put on my big girl panties, and I make sure that our family car has gas, and I make sure that I'm dressed appropriately, and that we all have jackets and snacks and water and all the things that we will need to have a successful time together in the car. And then I drive. I drive when it's sunny and when it's pouring rain, which it has done a lot more than normal this year. I drive when I'm tired and when I'm energetic. I drive when I'm frustrated and when I feel fantastic. I drive when I'm sick and also when I'm feeling on top of the world. I drive and I drive and I drive. I drive whether my kids are speaking kindly in the car or if they're bickering with each other. I drive even when they're being hard on me to a point. There are limits. I have placed definite boundaries on how my kids must speak to me in the car and in life if they want to have me give them rides. Driving is exhausting. All of this emotional labor is exhausting. Having to manage our mind and our emotions all day long in order to take care of hundreds or even thousands of tiny little tasks, this takes a lot out of us as parents and as humans. I choose to look for the best in the driving though, and that is my emotional labor because I still hate driving, and every single time I need to give a ride, I do mindset management on me to remind myself why this work is important and why driving serves my family and why serving my family serves me also. Which leads me to the most important part of this podcast episode, which is what to do if you find that you are the one holding all or at least most of the emotional weight for your growing family. And if you are the one who's primarily doing the emotional labor. This is not a problem, by the way, if it does not bother you. It does not need to be a problem that you're doing all of it. What matters more than the work you're actually doing is how you feel about it. But assuming that there are some listeners out there who are wired like me and who do feel frustrated at times by the invisible emotional labor they do all day long for their family and who would like to have some skills or strategies that they can take with them to lighten their mental or emotional load, here are a few ideas for you to get started with. First of all, it would be a great idea for you to take the invisible and make it visible. For you yourself, even if you choose not to share it with your partner or your family, which is totally up to you. Spend some time listing in a concrete fashion, like in a document or a list on your phone, or even in a journal if you want to, all the things big and small you spend your entire day doing. I know that there may be hundreds, but it would be good for you to capture them at least over a 24-hour period so that you can see where you're actually spending much or all of your time and energy. Once you have a clear idea of what you're actually focusing on and spending your time doing, it becomes easier to actually talk about it with your partner or kids. Yelling, I do all the work around here, is vague, and it does not really open a healthy or productive conversation. But saying, huh, 
It turns out that I spend up to 28 minutes a day picking up towels off of the floor, turning off lights in bedrooms, rinsing off breakfast plates left on the kitchen counter, and feeding the cats. I'd like to change that. That's a lot more concrete, and it will likely inspire a more productive response from your family members. Asking for help and delegating is great as long as you're clear within yourself that requesting is not the same thing as mandating. I used to get mad at my partner and kids for not helping me clean out the cat litter box, and I'd say, I asked you to do that yesterday, as though my request was a rule or a law that had been written on a stone tablet and presented to the people from on high at the mountaintop, and I would feel so upset and frustrated that nobody had followed my heavenly proclamation. Until one day I finally understood that I can feel things or ask for things and I can do things, but I can't make other people feel things or do things. If I want the cat litter box cleaned out that badly and it has to be done that minute, I'm going to have to be the one that does it. So if you've already made your request and set your boundaries and no one is responding, it's time for you to get creative. How else could that cat litter box get cleaned? Who else could clean it? If you could wave a magic wand and solve this problem forever, what would you do? And actually, I've been told that there is such a thing as a self-cleaning cat litter box. And wouldn't that be better than yelling at your family? (laughs) At least for me. So I just mentioned setting boundaries. And before I move on, I want to dig into that a little bit more because it is totally okay and actually great to set a clear boundary with your family around your invisible emotional labor, what you're willing to do, and what you are not willing to shoulder alone. My own boundary, not that I'm trying to suggest that you listeners follow it, but just sharing what works for me, is this. People and creatures matter more than things. So that's my boundary. I reserve my own emotional labor for the loved ones in my life that have a heartbeat or eyes. My kids and cats, my husband, my mom, my siblings and friends, my business partners, and my clients. I will manage my emotions to show up the very best that I can for these people and creatures and their own physical and emotional needs. I will not do emotional labor or get worked up about material things, including, in no particular order, messy cars, our house, keeping things perfectly tidy, doing laundry, washing dishes, organizing the pantry, etc. Sometimes my husband will get really worked up about whether or not I have bought too many cans of corn or if the refrigerator shelves have something expired on them, and I will calmly acknowledge him and say, yeah, I understand. I see what you're talking about. Thank you for sharing. And then I will walk away from those conversations without engaging or getting worked up or stressed or bickering about it. And I will not lay awake at night worrying if my kitchen counter has been wiped down correctly. So my personal boundary is humans and creatures matter more than things. Some other great things you can do in addition to finding your own personal boundaries in order to lighten your mental or emotional load include creating priority lists and then comparing the thousand tiny things you're doing all day long to your actual list of priorities and then crossing off anything that is not a priority. Like I recently mentioned on Instagram, if I find myself worried about buying an end-of-year school gift for a teacher who my child does not even like 
or want to appreciate, this is unnecessary emotional labor that does not actually align with my priorities and values, which leads to the very next strategy that I have to offer you today, which is let it go. Let things go. There may be some kind of emotional labor that you or I are doing that we can actually let go of. It may be needless or unconstructive, and it's important for you to know when to simply cross things off your list altogether because they actually don't matter. And then you can stop thinking about them and worrying about them, which I know is easier said than done. For example, if you decide you no longer want to worry about whether or not your teenager is waking up for school on time, and you think it's time for them to learn that hard life lesson about the importance of being prompt, then if you choose to stop knocking on their door in the morning to wake them up, you also need to do your own mental and emotional work within yourself to find inner peace inside yourself in the morning when they do wake up late and are running around like crazy and working themselves into an emotional state because they can't find their phone or their backpack or their shoe or their sweatshirt and they're hungry. You are going to need to let go on all levels, not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally. That's when you actually will have lifted the load for yourself, when you can hear your teen frustrated, maybe even cursing, and rather than feeling responsible or guilty for not waking them up, you can rest easy in the calm of your long-term decision. So letting go helps, but only if you fully let go all the way. You might just want to take a walk at that point in the morning so that you don't have to be around for their hard lesson learning moment. (laughs) Okay, one more thing to offer you today. Communication is the final key to everything along with self-care. You can communicate your needs, not to your family alone, although they are very important, but also to yourself. Make sure that you know that you're feeling overwhelmed overextended, and worn down by all of the emotional labor you do on the daily. Don't just keep sucking it up. Make sure that you are aware. Then figure out where you can fine-tune your approach and where you can do some of the things we've discussed today, like making requests of other people, delegating, setting boundaries, along with letting go. Make sure that you're being open and honest with yourself and with your loved ones about what you're really thinking or feeling. Don't keep it stuffed inside. Keeping that open line of communication with yourself and with them is going to be an important part of reducing your stress level and maintaining your authentic feelings of closeness with your own family. You don't want to be stuffing down resentment, which makes you not want to be around the people you love. You need to keep that line of communication open. Make sure that you are attuned to your own needs and ready to give yourself the gift of refueling and refilling your own bucket when you're starting to feel worn down by all those thousand little things that you're doing for your family over the course of a day. And if self-care for you looks like taking a run all by yourself, then make sure you keep track of when you most need that run and then ask for what you need. And if it's a babysitter or somebody else, ask them to help you out so that you can take it. If you need someone to cook dinner, ask them to cook it. And if other people don't step up for you, be creative and committed to see how you can still make that run happen for you. There is a lot more about this topic that I could say, but I'd like to end today by sharing what one of my Instagram followers recently wrote. She said, I'm expected to constantly run the whole show all of the time, six people in a household, when one is trying to do it all. It's impossibly draining and sometimes very frustrating, 
and suffocating. Her raw emotion and fiercely honest words ring true for so many of us. If you are feeling something similar today, please know that you are very far from alone in this. There are millions of parents in the world who feel exactly the same way today that you do. And we may all feel isolated when we're shouldering the emotional labor for our families in silence, but we are in it together. You are not alone, I promise. There are mothers and fathers everywhere who totally relate to what you're going through. This is why we all need to talk more about emotional labor with the people who matter to us. If this podcast episode resonates for you, I encourage you to pass it forward to a close friend or family member so that you can talk about it with them openly and really dive into that conversation with each other, with gusto, so that you will have a genuine friend and supporter who really understands you and your life. And maybe you guys can even help each other to see blind spots or opportunities to lighten both of your mental and emotional loads. Either way, I am sending you all of my very best wishes. And that's what I have for you today. All right, everybody, we'll be back soon with more great new episodes of the Infinite Capacity Podcast. If you'd like to keep in touch between now and then, follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Think to Thrive Coaching, or you can check out my passion project, the reasonably priced Growth and Grace Coaching Collective, www.growthandgracecoaching.com. Have you left your five-star review yet for the Infinite Capacity Podcast? You can do so now on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform. It's easy and quick to do, and we would appreciate it so much. Have a fantastic week.